lab. We dig in and dissect to uh, all sorts of topics, mostly driven off of your feedback and your suggestions. The weekly lab at gmail.com is how to get a hold of us. Uh, today, we are going to do part two, or three, or four, whatever it turns into, <laughs> part two of all the rest of it, um, for the near-death experiences that we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Rivers here with Kate Holiday, And last week, we talked about um, near-death experiences, what people see whenever they cross over, people that claim they have their life flash before their eyes. I mean, you tried to uh, come up with something like that. Yeah. And we couldn't do it. Yeah, I thought about it because you were like, have you ever seen, like, witness somebody have a near-death experience? And we talked about the one. And honestly, that's the only thing that I could think of. Right. I mean, I haven't, I was thinking about it. Like, I haven't witnessed car accidents, thank goodness, knock on wood. Um, Yeah. I, I don't think that there's anything else that I've ever seen that would fall into that category. Yeah, me neither. Um, But the people that have... And there's plenty of stories out there. Um, mm-hmm. There's all sorts of videos online. Um, people have written books about it. There's been movies made about a few of them. I was going to use one of those as an example today. Um, and you were saying that they all kind of have the same pattern or they have the same experiences, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly it was somebody has like an out-of-body experience when something happens to them. Yeah, it's that's like, usually like once they've died, though. Like they've medically been pronounced dead. Yeah, it's not like somebody had like an accident and they saw themselves watching the event unfold. It's usually like after the event, mm-hmm. then that's whenever the people start being able to recite like what they saw. Yeah, as far as like an out of body experience, right? And I feel something like, like that. The out of body experience stuff is like extreme circumstances. Like yeah. it's not just like one of those like split second near death experiences, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. It's something. Something where there's ex- more extreme circumstances, like literally, like you said, they were medically dead. Yeah. Essentially. Um, but yeah, we briefly touched on it last week about how a lot of these stories, there are common themes, like seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, yep. feeling a warmth, you know, like um, seeing loved ones or things like that. So the more you read about it, it's kind of interesting how they, like each experience is different in a sense, but they all have similar themes. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's always the theory of, like, is it what you want to see in that instance? Like, can people generate their own experience based on, like, what they, one, think it's going to be, or two, they want to see? Right. But there's also the cases out there, and I think I talked about this last week, where not all of them are good. Mm-hmm. And um, they see something they didn't want to see. Right. And then, of course, later, that usually prompts them to turn their life around or something. Yeah, that's one of the things that... um I, I mentioned after we brought it up, one of the experiences, and that guy's now like a priest. Right. Um, after his negative experience. So, um, one of the things I mentioned also was this association that was founded, and I think it's kind of interesting, like, after reading, it's called the International Association for Near-Death Experiences. Okay. That pretty much lays out exactly what it is. Right. Yeah. So, but... Their main focus is, like, providing support groups uh. for people that have had near-death experiences, and they claim to have seen all this crazy stuff, because I guess, I mean, it's probably a pretty hard pill to swallow for people to be like, oh, yeah, I totally believe that, you know? So maybe yeah. maybe they don't feel like they can communicate that to, like, their significant other or their family or something, because they're like, they just don't understand me. Right, but so, if you have a group of people that have experienced the same thing. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like AA. <laughs> In AA, a, um, a lot of the uh, veteran association groups, mm-hmm. people that uh, have gone through 
They specifically mentioned that they have support groups for veterans right. that went through things like overseas and everything. And not only do they do the support groups, but they do studies hmm. as well. So this guy founded this and it started out um, in 1981 and it was like just a local thing where this guy was interested on, you know, like he saw a trend after hearing a bunch of stories and was like, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to back up with science, like we mentioned last week, too, about, like, you can't really get into somebody's psyche and, like, study that kind of stuff in a sense. Yeah, like, all you have to go off of is their story. Right. And compare it to others. Yeah, and now it's um, it's name changed to International Association. Because they're worldwide. They really are. Um, I think they're in, like, 50 different countries or something now. Yeah. Um, and they've got like communications across the board they host like symposiums and seminars and things like that does it talk about anybody else's experience worldwide um not on their i'm on their actual website and i i didn't click on anything like that because what i would be interested in is what's the uh religious background of the others that are sharing internationally oh true yeah is their experience different because what they believe in right like um take a buddhist from uh Nepal or something like that if they've ever spoken up and like did they too get a glimpse of what you know mainstream Christianity people in the United States or across Europe are experiencing Mm -hmm. would that be different for Hindus or Muslims or something like that yeah Uh, probably I I, I don't know that's what I was curious about is maybe I'll dig into that a little bit later and see if there's anything that specifies the religious association with it or well that's that's something like i was saying is um is it manifested these people's experiences like i don't know if the you know the people that i've read about they're all religious or not right um so but is it manifested from what they're basically taught or they read in the bible about like how heaven's gonna look yeah. you know like who's gonna be there what's gonna be happening how you're gonna be welcomed there like is it just like fed into your mind if you're religious and that's like that's why that's what you see yeah i've also heard of stories of atheists though that see uh, the same kind of stuff right i was just curious about uh the other denominations or uh religious backgrounds or whatever my my assumption now i'm obviously no specialist or Mm -hmm. you know my assumption is it would be different yeah i don't know don't you think we'll find out um but this is a very recent article, um, like their cover page on their website, essentially from like May 9th, I think. They're actually hosting a conference virtually, I'm sure because of COVID and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Um, but if you're interested in checking it out, it's September 1st through the 5th of this year. Hmm. So you can save the date. Um, they have a YouTube channel. And then it's interesting because they talk about Netflix, which I mean, everything like we talked about this a long time ago. Um, I think when COVID started, like what shows you should watch and stuff. And we talked about how we only stream things. We don't have cable. Haven't had cable in years. So Netflix is one of the apps that we use. Now I kind of want to check this out. I guess they have a series called Surviving Death on there. And episode one is about near-death experiences. So I might have to check it out and just see like yeah. what other people have experienced. Because maybe they do talk about international people, you know, people outside of the u.s and it, it's one of those shows where they do like a dramatization of it and okay. like reenact it yeah. as the person's telling you about it. it so if there is people from different countries that would give you like a snapshot of what they experience um but also based on the studies um that this group 
um, an association has done. It says um, studies have found that 10 to 20% of people who are resuscitated, so that's what we're talking about, like extreme medical situations where they're basically pronounced dead, mm-hmm. after nearly dying, have an out-of-body experience accompanied by various perceptions such as traveling through a tunnel of light, feeling loved, or being received by deceased loved ones. Um, it says most near-death experiences are highly positive, but a percentage describes a negative experience, which can be traumatizing to patients. So that's that's another reason why they do the support groups. But I don't know. It doesn't say on this. I'm sure if you click read more and it'll break down the study. Um, but 10 to 20% have an out-of-body experience and experience these things. Interesting. Yeah. I can't decide if I'm surprised that that number... Is that high? Is that high or is that low? I'm kind of surprised at that. Ten high. out of ten people die. True. So, ten to twenty percent have an experience like that. Would I expect that to be more, or would I expect? Well, I mean, I guess you said ten to twenty percent of those that are resuscitated successfully. Mm-hmm. Okay. After nearly dying. Huh. Which I mean, your prior paramedic. How, how many of those don't come forward though that have experienced it too? So right. these are just confirmed stories. Right, based on their studies. So in like a study group yeah. that they were talking to of people who had near-death experiences and were resuscitated successfully, 10 to 20% of that group said, yeah, I had an out-of-body experience where I experienced these things. Is that high or is that low? What do you think? I feel like that's high. You think so? Because, I mean, that's what I was going to say. Being a prior paramedic and dealing with that kind of stuff and people coding all the time, essentially, how often do you really think that people are successfully resuscitated? Like, is it that common where they're, like, out for that long where they could have an out-of-body experience and come back and be like, holy crap. No. I mean, usually you don't get majority of your patients back. Right. So if you think about that, from somebody who has experience, that puts those people that could have been part of the study in a smaller group. So mm-hmm. the amount of people that they talk to is probably fairly small. Yeah. I would assume. So the percentage would be small too. Like 10 to 20%. I picture it being like a couple people. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean either. Either way. So now we know we have this this percentage of people that actually report it mm-hmm. and then like we were saying a lot of that is all the same um like well you mentioned things going through a tunnel feeling uh, a certain way being welcomed mm-hmm. seeing um familiar faces yeah or i think we briefly mentioned that little boy that had that experience that's what he... i was gonna say yeah so i don't are you gonna talk about that story the uh what was his name um connor i think or something like that they I made a so. movie about it heaven is for real was the movie mm-hmm. um so this little boy he was four years old. I'm actually going to look it up so I don't say anything that's incorrect. So this four-year-old, um, I guess in Nebraska, he had an, he had, uh, an acute uh, appendicitis. Mm. His appendix ruptured. They took him into surgery, and he ended up dying in surgery. Um, and then, so this was, I mean, appendicitis, that's fairly common. What makes it remarkable is that he reported having the same out-of-body experience. He was watching the doctors operate on him. As a four-year-old. He could see where his mother was, who was in the waiting room. Mm-hmm. He told her everything that she did. Yeah. He could see where his dad was and told his dad everything that he was, what, everything that he did. Mm-hmm. And this kid is in the OR, so obviously there's no way he could have seen him. Right. They know he's, like, out. Right. anesthesia getting surgery right now. Um, and then he made the transition. He went up to what he described uh, was heaven. 
And that's where he saw his uh, great-grandfather that he never met. Mm-hmm. Passed he, away, like, before he was alive, right? Yeah. He described him to him, to his dad. Um, at four years old, I don't think at this point he had ever even been um, made aware of this guy. Mm-hmm. But whenever he came to later, he told his dad that he had met um, whatever his name is. Yeah. Talked about... Uh, and he, described him in detail. Right. And then the kicker was his mom had had a miscarriage before he was born. Mm-hmm. And he, of course, being four years old, was not aware of that. Yeah, I'm sure they didn't tell him. But he told his parents that he saw his older sister that had passed away. Yeah. And they and gave the name of that they were going to name her and said that she's up there. How would you react as a parent? Like, I mean, four years old, that's what I'm saying. Like, telling your son that you had a miscarriage, like, I feel like that's kind of out of the question at four years old because they don't understand what that is. So there's a very slim chance that they would have... E- ever said anything about that and then to have him come out of surgery and describe all of this stuff to you right that would be extremely overwhelming and i know kids like are notorious for just saying what's on their mind like they have no filter you know what i mean like they insult people without even thinking about it because they don't know what an insult is and you're like oh okay um but so so yeah that all that right there i mean if that's not enough to kind of convince you great i mean you know given if this story is true right um but what I think kind of makes it even more believable is that there was a girl from, I think it was Lithuania, that had a similar experience. And she turned out to be like an accomplished uh, artist. Hmm. Um, and the, so the kid's dad was a preacher, by the way, the four-year-old. Hmm. Um, okay. And his dad was showing him pictures like, is this what you saw? Is this Jesus? Because he said that he met Jesus. And the kid kept saying, nope, that's not him. That's not him. You guys have all painted him wrong, drew him wrong. These people don't know what he looks like. And he was trying to describe what, what he looked like physically yeah and then this girl over in europe had a similar experience mm-hmm. and when she came to she actually painted a picture of what jesus really looked like interesting and that little boy saw that and he was like that's him that's the one that's who i saw and so people like across the world had right. a connection and it was nothing like people portray him then correct that's trippy so i hadn't heard about that other girl yeah I would, do you have that picture? Uh, I can probably I would, find it. <clears throat> I mean, you guys should take a look at it, too, if you're curious. But that's interesting because every portrayal of Jesus is so standard. You know what I mean? Like, in the church or outside, just how they paint that picture of him. Like, they're very... So that's what she painted. And that's, you know, after seeing hundreds of pictures from her dad, or from his dad, he was like, uh, no, nope, that's not him, that's not him, that's not him. Yeah. And then he somehow found the picture. There's the girl that painted him. But that's interesting because that picture, I know you guys listening can't physically see that, but... All you um, have to do is a quick internet search. Jesus painting girl, and then... Jesus painting girl. That's what I put in. I mean, that picture doesn't look that far off, Mm -hmm. but you can tell there's very minute details that are different. So the fact that a four-year-old kid could look at pictures, and that's what I'm saying, like you look at pictures of Jesus across the board, whether it's online, in the church, anywhere really, you know, things you buy in the store, they're pretty standard. Mm-hmm. So for a four-year-old to see like a bunch of different slight variations of that and say absolutely not like with conviction and say no that's not him and see that where like I said it's not very different but you can tell like his nose is different his yep. his facial hair is different his hair in general is a little bit different to say for sure that's him is crazy to me pretty astonishing yeah but I mean to have to, to be those parents 
I'm just going back to that. Like, I wouldn't even know what to say to my kid. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, how, what, what can you say? Yeah. Do you argue? You can't argue with them. No, because you can't like, say that never happened. Let's say his mom was sitting in the waiting area. I don't know what she did, or I'm sure it's portrayed in the movie and stuff. Like, I haven't seen it or anything. But like, let's say she goes to the vending machine and gets like peanut M and M's, and he comes out and he's like, "Oh, how are those M and M's?" And she's like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> like there, you can't argue that, because I guarantee they were like the first ones to go into see him after surgery and stuff and nobody would have went in there and been like your mom was snacking on peanut oats <laughs> you yeah, know what uh, i mean I like know. i'm just playing devil's advocate but like i don't feel like a kid at that age let's say his parents made it up sure and they were like this is what i did in the lobby this is what you're going to tell the news and stuff a four-year-old kid is not going to retain that information and those details yeah i don't think so i i we don't have kids, but I don't know any four-year-old kid that would have the attention span to come up with such an elaborate story or remember those details if his parents were like, oh, I'm going to make a buck off of this. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. Very true. Just to play devil's advocate, like, I don't think that there's any way you could fake that experience. And mm. then to have somebody across the country who this kid's never met. Across the world. Right. That's what I meant. To draw something like that. And he just happens to come across it. And he's like, yep, that's it. That's him. You know? Hmm. And then um, there's another one, Don Piper. I don't know if you've ever heard of that guy. So he was, um, no, you know, here we go, another uh, pastor, Baptist minister. Mm -hmm. um, so in 1989, he was on his way home from church, and he was driving across a bridge in Texas in oh, no. a Ford car. And well, that's that's not the oh no, people drive across bridges all the time. No, but I just see where this is going. <laughs> yeah, a uh, a semi hit him head on, <laughs> and he was killed instantly. Dang. Um, so he was crushed by the roof of his car. The steering wheel impaled into his chest. Mm. Uh, the dashboard collapsed across his legs. When the uh, paramedics arrived, they called for backup, of course, mm -hmm. and the fire department got there and tried to extricate him. They quickly determined that there was no signs of life, okay. and they covered him with a tarp. So he sat there um, on the side of the road, covered with a tarp. Nobody's even working him at this point. Yeah, so if you say, just for people who don't know medical stuff, like at all like me before I started medical no signs of life would be like they checked pulse no breathing no nothing like yeah they nothing. probably hooked an EKG if they could make it to him hooked an EKG up got a line of a systole line printed off the monitor there's your proof that the person's dead dang okay so he's covered with the tarp yep so the state troopers have the road blocked they're slowly letting traffic through and another guy just happens to pull up and he asked the state trooper if he can pull over and pray for the people that were in the car and the trooper's like it's sorry it's too late and the guy's like no I feel like something's telling me to pray for him some random guy yeah. said this okay. and the trooper's like if, sure just don't block any traffic pull over there mm -hmm. so this dude sat there this guy was dead for 90 minutes 90 minutes an hour and a half without oxygen what does that do to your brain it's dead Jeez. you know like that's yeah people have people drown in a few minutes and mm -hmm. you get them out of a pool or the ocean or whatever Nothing. it is they've aspirated they have no brain activity the doctors are like, if we bring them back, there's a chance they're going to be brain dead. They're like, going to be a vegetable. You yeah. know what I mean? Yep. So for 90 minutes, this dude is... Covered with a tarp. Dead. Jeez. And then I've actually read the book. It's called 90 Minutes in Heaven. Um, oh, this is that guy. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if I still have the book here. I don't know what I did with it. Maybe... I'm sure I do. I never throw anything out. Um, <laughs> but I don't remember the exact circumstances that led to them discovering that he was still alive. Um, but... But it was so, after this guy stopped and prayed, right? Yeah, it was after that. I think maybe it was they were finally going to get him out of the vehicle, and they realized that he had come back to life. Um, so anyway, long story short, he was transported to the hospital. His 
injuries were catastrophic. Yeah, I'm sure. That and sounds terrible. he somehow survived, and he woke up, and he was uh, clinically dead for 90 minutes, at which point he, too, had an experience like we've been talking. He mm-hmm. was uh, able to cross over to the other side. He described it as being amazing and beautiful, and he met long-lost family members that had passed before him. Hmm. Um, and he's told the story thousands of times, and it's the same details every time. So story doesn't change. Even after 90 minutes of no oxygen going to your brain, this guy was able to come back from that, write a book, and retell all these details. Like, he was not a vegetable at all. Like, he right. had full quality of life and stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's still alive today. He like, walks around. How is that possible? I don't... Yeah, that's what... He says it's only explained by a miracle. And science hasn't been able to explain it. The medical doctors couldn't explain it. Yeah. They literally said, like, bro, you are one of a kind. I've never seen this before. Right. And that's kind of... minutes. Like, after doing the research and stuff, that's what that um, association kind of focuses on because there is no way to scientifically study it, really. So they're just going it to it from like a psychological study perspective where they get the accounts and they link it up to like similarities and mm-hmm. how it affects the person and things like that. So yeah, I can't even imagine what a doctor would say to you after that, except for I, I have nothing. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's plenty of people that aren't religious that have had these same experiences for those that aren't religious and they're listening to this and they say, wow, it's somebody, uh, you know, whatever, if they're right. saying that their religion played a part in it. Remember, I showed you that video. Mm-hmm. It's on YouTube about the guy that was skiing and severed his thumb or whatever. Yeah. And he went into um, the hospital. They were going to put it back in place or whatever. They yeah. put him under anesthesia, and the nurse accidentally um, did something with the IV where it infiltrated, whatever. Yep. He wasn't getting the meds he needed. He wasn't getting the oxygen that he needed, and he flatlined on the surgery table. Mm-hmm. And he had an out-of-body experience where he watched it. And he recalled later what the nurse was doing in there, fumbling through everything, freaking out that she ran out the room crying. They brought in somebody else to relieve her because she couldn't take it because she'd made such a catastrophic mistake. Yeah. And he literally, like, told her, I saw you do this. I saw you do that. And this whole time he was dead. Yeah. Like, they're coding him in the OR. So how could he know what she's doing on the other side of the hospital? There's no way. Physically impossible. Yeah. Because as you were telling that last story about um, the guy from the book and everything I was thinking, cause you said he was a priest, right? Or yeah, a pastor. pastor yeah. Um, you know, they say kids are innocent. Animals are innocent in the majority of them. Or if all of them go to heaven because they haven't done anything, they haven't sinned in life. They haven't been along like alive long enough for kids. Dogs are just pets, animals, all that kind of stuff. So then it makes you wonder like, are these people predisposed to things because of that, where they have these good experiences, but no, it doesn't mean anything. Like, you don't have to be an innocent or a religious person to have these types of experiences. And not all of them are going to take people to, like, the pearly white gates and have those experiences. You know what I mean? Because they're, yeah, they're not all standard, but people that do go to that extreme have similar encounters. Right. You know? And um, I think I've only heard of a few that had the opposite, where they went down to the other side of things. Yeah. Um, and there was one guy, he told his story, and he described it as... Um, of course, everybody, uh, is just miserable. Yeah. And the way he said it was, he was walking, it's almost like a hallway and you have, um, he, I don't know if he used the word coffins, Mm -hmm. but he said on both sides, like stacked up five or six high 
were these people, and they were trapped in... In, like, a box? Yeah, but they were reliving all the bad things that they did to other people. Ugh. And, that sounds about right. And it was just, like, on repeat. And he described seeing... He didn't call him by name, but he... um, He mentioned Hitler. Mm-hmm. And how he saw him being gassed. He saw him being shot. He saw him being burned afterwards. Like everything that he did to everyone else. Right. Hmm. And he said that it was just over and over and over again while he was watching. How would you like to live out that in, for and eternity? It, and it never ended. Yeah. yeah. And then he saw other people that had done things to people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, crime, shootings, whatever it was. Right. That, that whatever they did was happening to them. Ugh. Over and over and over. That would be terrible if you did some bad things in life. And then they were, uh, there was no escape. Yeah. And he was just like shown that and he was able to walk for like a certain distance or whatnot and saw these people and then was brought back. It makes you wonder if like it's decided once, let's say you have a negative experience like that and like you did do bad things during life. Like, I wonder how it's decided you get to go back. Like, is it predetermined that you're deep down, you're a good person and you basically need this like shock to go back to the land of the living, essentially. And then, like, that guy that I was talking about, he became a priest. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, it's predetermined that it's known you're going to make a turn for the better if they send you back, you know? Because I feel like if you did that much bad and you're going to, let's say, hell, if that's what you want to call it, I say you just go. But, I mean, clearly people have come back from there, so there must be a reason. You know, I mean, that's really deep. But yeah, makes you wonder. Because, I mean, why why do some people get to come back from that? If you did stuff bad enough to go in the first place... Yeah, well, I mean, I know we're not a religious talk show. I don't think it's a matter of good or bad. Yeah. Good people aren't saved from... Oh, yeah. They're not safe from anything like that. Right. Bad people doesn't automatically mean that's their fate. Yeah. Um, That's a good point. To answer your question, though, somebody more in charge than me is (laughs) making those determinations, so... You all sit There's through, no arguing with it. Sit through some of these uh, articles on the website and see if they have any predetermining thoughts. Because it's one of those situations where you can't, like, say a definitive scientific answer. Even doing these kind of studies yeah, in depth sure. and be like, this is why this happens. It's just a theory. Yeah. You know? Um, I don't know. To be honest, I don't know. But I do know, and this makes me happy, mm-hmm. is that there have been multiple uh, occurrences where people have saw, seen their pets. Yeah. Which I like. I know. That's encouraging. I think the, like, good stories make it to where people are kind of not in fear of those kinds of things. Because if you live your life right and all that kind of stuff, you can expect to be reunited with your pets and your loved ones and stuff. Yeah, I mean, people believe that. Um, Again, not a uh, uh, religious talk show or anything. But I definitely think there's way more to just living a good life Mm -hmm. that, um, that plays into that. Uh, yeah. I'll just leave it at that. But I mean, let go back to the 90s when All Dogs Go to Heaven came out. Yeah. I mean, that that's just one take on it. But, I mean, we've both had pets, dogs that have passed away. And, like, I just picture them doing whatever they love to do. Like, Bear, my six-and-a-half-pound Pomeranian. I would just picture him stuffing his face 24-7 and never getting sick. If it makes you happy. Because that's what he loved to do. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, That's what I picture, sure. and that makes me happy. So, I hope yeah. that is what he's doing. It's encouraging. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Um. I don't know. That was a deep. Uh, that was a deep subject. So, yeah. uh, if we have any more, theweeklylab at gmail dot com. Send us an email if you're listening over shortwave. Mm-hmm. The signal is coming from Miami, Florida. WRMI broadcast it. 
Um, we're also updating. Uh, we try to do it weekly. Try to. Yep. On uh, iTunes. But yeah, send us an email, theweeklylab at gmail.com. Give us your thoughts. Give us your experiences. And we'll get them on the next episode.